Gavin. Hi, Louie. How you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, as good as, as good as can be. <laughs> good as can be. It's a 2.30 on a Sunday. We're both drinking. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> what do you got there again, Louie? Um, I've got pamplemousse, um, vodka, and tonic water. Just, you know. Mm. And I have a delicious strawberry daiquiri. Because I'm just yeah. finding things around the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're fermenting things. Exactly. We're getting it going. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Mixed Reviews. We are a movie film podcast where we take a subject, whether it's an actor, an actress, a director, um, a little genre. We do a little of this. We do a little of that. We go over history. We watch some movies. Um, and we talk to you about what we like, what we don't like. And... Um, Look into the the looking glass for the future, perhaps <laughs> of what's coming next. Um, we we do all this in two weeks, and yes, yes. It's, it's just a smorgasbord of films for us and, can and I, research. <laughs> can I tell you? And I'm not going to spoil it for our listeners, but our next episode, we're having a guest, and they messaged me, and they're like, "I'm ten movies in," and I was like, "You bitch, we haven't even <laughs> recorded our first episode before you." This is why we give our guests a very long leadway because this I is was, it's not an easy ask it's I, not. this is this is why like i have asked so many people to be on the show and i think a lot of them are like mm, that sounds like work mm-hmm. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. i was like well great you've seen 10 movies of our next subject and i've seen zero um i cannot wait to get into that before we talk about our next subject we should talk about our previous subject and get into a little old business yes um Old business, we asked you guys to go online to vote for your favorite movie of our subject. And our last subject was none other than Danny Glover. Um, DG. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a, a hot race um, for Danny Glover. I have not seen um, a poll go out like this um, in all of our years of doing this podcast, Gavin. Um, my pick, Mr. Pig, came in at last place at 3%. That was my vote. Um <laughs> We got uh, in in uh, third place. We had other with twenty three percent. We had people coming in from all angles, um, but we're not going to mention it because, like I said, all those votes went to angels in the outfield. I'm so sorry. I I will refute that by saying we did also get a number of votes for To Sleep with Anger. And honestly, if you've not seen To Sleep with Anger, you need to see it. So To, to Sleep with Anger is Gavin's Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> it really is. It's just it's just me as like a six year old in the theater, just like mm-hmm, go mm-hmm. off, malevolent spirit, <laughs> get that family. Oh, he's the bad guy. Oh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? Both these movies have spirits. It's true. Parallels. They, they have spirits. Parallels. Yes, they do. Oh, so you, you knew that cheer, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in a tie for first place, um, we had Lethal Weapon and Gavin's Pick Beloved coming in at thirty seven percent. Wild. Yeah. What what a weird tie. But I I will say it represents perfectly sort of the dichotomy of Danny Glover, who is a very serious actor who has very uh, close held beliefs and um, is really interested in letting his story out into the world and, and, and communicating the stories of others. So to have both Lethal Weapon and Beloved as as the tie, I mean... I'm just looking forward to putting those two clips together for our Instagram. And yeah. uh, I'm sure they'll relate 
<laughs> they are going to be they are simpatico for exactly. sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, before we get into our um our our next episode what we're here to talk about today, I did want to say a special thank you to everyone who came out um I guess a couple weeks ago now and watched with us at our first ever Netflix party. We watched Tu Wong Fu um and that was what we talked about um uh, during our um drag on film episode, I believe last Pride season. Um and we had a lot of like fun great people come out. Thank you uh Michelle uh uh, uh, my boyfriend Derek came out and watched this. Uh, Matthew, um, everyone, um, Megan, Austin, Rob, Kim, yeah, yes, uh, Rachel, just yeah, just people from all over. And that's what I loved is it brought in people from various aspects of our lives, people that are just listeners. Chelsea, like, yeah, it was so very much fun. Cool. It was so much fun. We had a great time watching. We will probably do it again um, with another movie. Um, but just, you know, uh, if you're a listener or, um, a, a friend, um, and you and your roommate or whoever are looking for something to do, just keep an eye out on our Twitter and we'll be announcing, you know, um, how and when. So thank you guys for a fun Wednesday evening. Um, okay. All right, Gavin, enough business. Let's get into it. Um, who are we here to talk about today? Why we are here to talk about our very first female filmmaker that we've ever covered on this podcast you know louie and i were talking we were discussing and we're, we're the world is kind of in this frozen point we're kind of mm. in this area in which frozen nothing, two it's frozen two into the unknown and we're just <laughs> thank we, you why well, thank you that's the song right i still yeah, haven't seen yeah. it i don't know um josh gad no thank you um <laughs> but josh <laughs> bad <laughs> Oh, thank, you, thank you thank you thank you thank I'm you i'm so dead i'm sorry <laughs> i've died um <laughs> and and so we're in this place where we're like what is coming out you know things are going sort of to virtual cinemas and you know nothing's really grabbing us and we're like well we haven't done a female filmmaker before and we really should and there's so many impressive women out there who are just giving it their all and you know i just floated the name mira nair uh, Mira Nair is a filmmaker who's uh, been making movies since the early 80s. She started as a documentarian and then she eventually moved to more big budget films. Uh, she has somehow managed to be both a really well-regarded woman in Hollywood and a uh, indie queen um, and, and sort of always played by her own rules. She's a person of color. Uh, she doesn't uh, I don't think she fits the mold of what people think of as as uh you know, a Hollywood power player, but she is. And I don't know. So I was really fascinated. I was like, I would like to learn more about her. And Louis was like, yes, yes, yes. I am. It's funny because um, like I've said before, my only like um, credential as a, a movie critic is that I took one film and literature course in my undergrad days at Texas Women's University. And no joke, uh, we studied uh Mary Nair and Monsoon Wedding. And when you brought her up, I was just like, fuck, yes, I want to talk more about her because I was just so impressed by her movie. And I remember, so after that, um, you know, I graduated, went on to more things. Um, I started see seeking out and more. And you just became the looks of this podcast. Right, right. Solely. And, and then yeah. I was like, okay, fine, I'll be the hot one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but then I, I started searching out for more of her movies and I was able to find the namesake. And honestly, I found you know her more mainstream bigger hollywood stuff um and so this was a perfect opportunity to really um dig into her um archive and really 
look at her entire work and it's just like again so fun what a great um journey I, I feel like these last two weeks have been you and me just like desperate to try and find like her documentaries and um yeah the pic the picture of her career as a filmmaker is so um enjoyable like man i i, I had the best time watching all these movies absolutely and she i mean like i said she's lived such a fascinating life she is uh she speaks multiple languages she's lived in multiple places she shares that she has a house in new york a house in uganda and a house in india like she you know she's just a multinational queen and international girl yeah and i i just really like that she has she brings much to the same way that I was talking about with Danny Glover. She brings like a very different non-ethnocentric perspective to things than what we're used to getting in America. Um, and I, I think because of that, that really adds a different flair to her films that uh, you wouldn't normally see yeah. um, because she's she's led even for some of the disasters and she has made bad movies. I'm not going to absolve her from that. But even some of them, there's interesting stuff and, and you totally get why she made them and you got what attracted her to these projects. Right. She has so much personality and you see a lot of that in her movies. And um, her story as this Indian woman, um, you can feel that in a lot of her movies in a lot of different ways, um, even when they're not, you know, her, her like written and directed controlled things, even when it is um, maybe a bigger blockbuster movie that she's not in love with <laughs> um, yeah but we'll get into that uh so why don't we hop into our rewind i had the uh, joyous occasion to do our rewind for amira she was born in october 15 1957 in rorkela odisha which is an eastern state in india her father was this kind of like state officer he was um they were kind of like i would say upper middle class um her mom was a social worker who worked with kids and um there i right off the bat i have to say <laughs> i posted to our facebook this very excellent article um written in 2000 by john lar in the new yorker called whirlwind um and i just want to take a moment to talk about how um her Mira's um, childhood and youth really, um, and her relationship to her parents really propelled her to where she is today. Um, when she was eight years old, she became friends with like a lot of village elders, and um, they gave her the nickname Pagli, which is Hindi for mad girl, um, because she was just so like mischievous and like fascinated with life. Um, and she grew up as a tomboy, um, she says, and she has two older brothers, Vikram and Gautam. Um, and she just said that she was always, you know, she's really, she describes, um, the hometown where she grew up, like just backwoods country, um, quote, even for India, as she says, just like the, the biggest um, city I think was Calcutta. And that was, um, over 200 miles away. Um, so she really, you know, grew up, um, and when you think of like the American, like backwoods or country, like think of that but in india she says of her father that he was kind of like this remote distant figure he i mean if you can imagine someone who works for the state government he was very like that um reflected that in his personality um he was uh, very regimented um she said he wasn't like a lot of fun except he loved poetry and he um, would read persian poetry and he wrote um poetry himself 
And so he would um, translate uh, a lot of poems for his kids. And Mira says, that's when I really, you know, was so enamored with um, my dad because he would transport us away from, you know, where we were. Uh, but most of the time he was very strict and demanded that his kids use their time wisely and have purpose as opposed to like, you know, having fun. She also says that for the longest time, her and her brothers begged their parents to separate because they were they are a very tumultuous and fraught relationship. Um, they are, in fact, now separated, but um, there was a lot of fighting and tension in the household. And um, they would just, like, go at each other. She doesn't say that they were physical with each other, but she does um, remember an instance when um, her mom got a, a bottle of uh, gin and smashed it over her own head. Um, and said that, you know, that's like... Which is a move, yeah. by the way. <laughs> like... And and what's wild is it reminded me, we'll talk about this later, it reminded me a lot of in Salam Bombay, there's a moment where um, there's violence between a couple and the woman decides to not inflict violence against this man. Um, and I was like, parallels. Um, exactly. Is, uh, you know, life is art, art is life, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but she says, okay, so growing up, Miro is very, a fearless girl. Um, and she says, you know, th this was because of her mother. Her mom was a volunteer worker, helped a lot with... Um, doing social work like we mentioned um and her mom now says that she is quote the producer of the director which uh love that such a mom thing to say <laughs> her brothers got most of the attention um and were um, prioritized as far as you know um being sent to the better schools um given more attention and things like that when she was a teenager she taught herself to type play the sitar um she got into painting poetry um, and she even did political street theater, you know. Um, I believe they moved to Delhi when they were around 11 um, for a couple years. Um, and again, she was just like begging to like go to a better school. My brothers, being older than me, were sent because we were living in a very provincial place with not great education. My brothers were sent to a fancy boarding school uh, for the last three years, but I was expected to stay in this village, you know, and I didn't want to stay in the village. Uh, I wanted to, uh, and people in my school were not really teachers. They were, they were like, I call them ladies in waiting, uh, girls who were waiting to get married and they were teaching, you know. So they didn't uh, pay much attention to me because I was supposed to be smart. So I asked my father, send me to a great school, you know. And he said, no, no, you stay right here, you know. And, and, and so I, uh, I started this campaign, which I call the campaign of gibberish. You know, gibberish means nonsense, you know. Okay, yeah. And I, every time I would um, write an essay or do any homework, it would be one line of correct uh, response and the rest all gibberish makes no sense but i would get f top marks and at the main in the because it was me because they thought i was smart so uh, and then on the other side, I asked the principal, it, you know, we have a lot of missionary schools or across India, Irish Catholic convents, actually. And I asked uh, a mother superior I knew of, of a great school very far away to please consider me, you know. And so meanwhile, while they were considering me, I was conducting this campaign of gibberish. And then five months later, I got, admi I got admitted into this good school, you know. And then I went to my father with the six months of gibberish, uh, getting top marks for gibberish, and uh, admission uh, to this good school. So he had to let me go. So she went to this more prestigious um, private school that challenged her. She met a bunch of her friends that she's still friends with today. When she started uh, going to school at Delhi University in India, 
she was bored out of her mind and she decided, you know what, I'm going to apply to a bunch of uh, Western schools. Um, and I love this because this is a big fuck you to um, a lot of people. She said, fuck you to Cambridge because uh, she says, quote, I had a chip on my shoulder about the Brits. Um, Yale lost her application. Well, Leslie wouldn't cover full tuition. So in 1976, she went to Harvard. Um, and she casual. Said, Very casual. <laughs> She's like, oh, fine. Um <laughs> Her dad let her go because he said, oh, yes, the Kennedys went there, which she hated. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny, too. She was like a, she was a bit of a rebel. She was born after Britain had ended their occupation of India, and she hated the British. She was like a little rebel, and she she was like, you know, I don't want to go there, and I don't I don't want anything to do with them. Right. And so this this blessing of Harvard coming along was was kind of a, a great thing because you know if if she was gonna go to school most likely it would have ended up in england yeah and what's wild you mentioning her rebellious spirit in nature it reminds me that um she also says in this article that her dad did not want her mom to even have her um yeah. this was during a time when the population of india was exploding and the government was um not as you know tyrannical as the chinese when they were you know very strict about uh, the one child rule but in india they were saying two or three is fine um and because he worked for the state and the government he was um he was out there being like we shouldn't say even or three we should say two is fine two is good and so it was really embarrassing when um his wife came to him and said i'm pregnant and he demanded her to go get an abortion um Allegedly, according to this, she went um, and the abortion didn't take. And um, the father was pissed off and said, go back. And she couldn't go through with it. And, um, you know, th this story um, comes back uh, later in her early documentary work because she does a full documentary about amniocentesis, about um, people trying to um, see the sex of their child before having um uh, giving birth and aborting girls at a higher rate than boys. Children of a desired sex. Um, that's her documentary in 1987 about, um, you know, people aborting um, or families aborting uh, unborn uh, girls at a higher rate than than boys, which is fucking psychotic. Um, okay, so we're in Harvard. Um, at Harvard, a lot of uh, important things for her career happens. She meets Suni Taraporavella who is one of her closest collaborators. Um, all of Suni, Suni is um, basically her right-hand woman. She writes basically all of, not all, but all of the movies that they work on together. Um, and they've made, I want to say, three or four. They did uh, Monsoon Wedding together. They did Mississippi Masala together. They did The Namesake together. Um, all the movies that are not Hollywood movies, essentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, Suni and uh, Mira make together and so they became close friends um, in Harvard and she was she described Mira as a gale force wind um, so Mira at the time though is uh, just really interested in literature and English and theater she even wins a prize for doing a speech of uh, Oedipus um, which casual um, and she was in like the acting program. The extraordinary thing about theater is that it is live. 
you know what you see in front of you you will never see again because it will never be like that again i love the liveness you know which is also very different from cinema uh, but i love that live the electricity of the live and i as i get older i love that it is ephemeral it's electric but it will never be the same again she says that she went to new york after like a year to kind of hang out in the east village and was at la mama and just like very casually exploring you know the the downtown scene of theater and when she's there she's like oh i fucking hate this uh the pretend the pretensions of the theater and she realized she doesn't have uh, control over you know um what she wants to do and so she's kind of like uh maybe being an actress is not what i want to do and so she returns to harvard after that first um uh summer after her freshman year and she you know, is maybe like interested in photography, but she's like, um, no. And so then she starts, she switches photography for film. And that's where she realizes, oh, I can use both my social skills and have this like deep control over what I'm creating. Um, and so like, it's kind of like she figured out the medium that is best suited for her talents and skills. Well, at Harvard, she ends up taking a documentaries course and, um, you know, she gets mentored by D.A. Pennebaker and Richard Leacock. Um, these are names that if you are a film student, you've heard many, many times, especially D.A. Pennebaker. Pennebaker is essentially the uh, godfather of the non-reflexive documentary Um he did, you know, the documentary about the Kennedys. He did Bob Dylan, Don't Look Back and Monterey Pop and, you know, a bunch of music documentaries. Music was sort of his his bag. Um, he he did the war room. Uh, he he ends up maintaining a relationship with Mira and I are all the way through the end of his life, uh, which was only just a couple of years ago. But uh, truly, like anybody that moves into the realm of documentaries would be lucky to be in the same room as D.A. Pennebaker. So the fact that she was actually mentored by him is amazing. It was a very lucky moment because at the age of, I was 20 by then, and at the age of 20, I knew this was what I wanted to do because it was a way to work visually, it was a way to work with people, and it was a way to intervene into real life. Um, and, and you could make films about political things as well. And, you know, you could. So that was interesting to me. But I was lucky because my teachers were uh, Ricky Leacock and D.A. Pennybaker, who really essentially had created the Cinema Verite movement. Uh, the Cinema Verite meaning the truth of life about, you know, a sync sound camera, mobile recorder, going to people's lives. She also meets Mitch Epstein, who is a very young, uh, I guess, professor teacher human being at harvard um and he taught this introductory photography course at harvard and they hit it off they um you know first it's like an educational she's learning a lot um but then they become romantically involved and he ends yeah, up who, i mean who doesn't fall for a guy named mitch I mean, Mitch, Lit you're 25, yeah. Harvard. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Ladies love cool Mitch. Hello. I mean, honestly, can you imagine? Ugh. I, I wish I could like, be like transported. I'm Mira Nair. I'm like young, talented, and beautiful. Beautiful. Way, as well. And, and then imagine little Mitch, this Jewish photography professor who's 25. Bitch, what was I doing when I was 25? I was not teaching at Harvard. Hello? Well, I'm 24 currently, so. <laughs> okay, so you would you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
they worked together just doing freelance assignments um, and just learning and learning and learning. Um, in 1978, they go to India um, and they get married in 1981 in this big flamboyant um, Indian wedding. She makes her thesis for her for, for Harvard. Um, it's called Jama Masjid Street Journal. Um, and this is really like Gavin was mentioning all of her, um, you know, being mentored and learning about cinema verite and documentary uh it's all coming to a head um and she does this uh documentary she says she's kind of embarrassed about it now but it <laughs> you know it, it's like her first step mr pennebaker casual master of the form he sees this film and is like you know what girl you've got it like we can we can like keep going and pushing you further the biggest lesson from penny we call him what he does is he just does what he wants. He, he, he has his own truth and he will not sell out, basically. He will not go to a commercial idea when he has an idea that he needs to do. And he has a particular sensibility. It's usually to do with music, but, but whatever, that's him. I love that integrity, you know, and that individual, the, you know, his, his own sensibility. That is what I've taken from him, you know, is how to keep the truth of what really turns you on you know not to buy into what people might want of you and so he helps her get a grant to make her um first not school related um documentary called so far from india um so far from india i mean she mostly talks about like just how she realized making these documentaries for um she didn't know who she was making them for essentially she like realized the american audiences she was presenting them to just keep being like there's running water in India. What's that? Like just completely right. don't not without any context about knowing a modern Indian life. And, and so, and her- like this continues for the rest of her career. She has made jokes about the fact that when she made uh, Mississippi Masala, she actually had a, a studio person tell her, say to her, um, is Uganda in upstate New York? Oh, so, so like this is a common factor for her that runs throughout the course. But continuing on with her story. Well, she just says, you know, I was making $300 to like go present our movie in like random places around America. And it's like realizing the people who didn't even like grasp the the nuances of the story she's trying to tell uh, because they were too like the hurdle between like, wait, water, India, modern society. I don't get it. Uh, and then on the flip of that, back in India, she was making movies that were too controversial. And so, uh, you know, she felt like she really didn't have um, she felt like she didn't have a home, really. You know, she was in between two places. In 1985, she makes India Cabaret, which was super scandalous for the time. Um, Indian Cabaret is about um, women uh, in India who are um, strippers, uh, sex workers women living on the fringe of society and i actually lived with the dancers i was considered a stripper for several months it was not it was not uh, easy you know it was uh, painful in fact but it was a way also to understand their actual reality and and then i would come back to america and edit the film in america in penny baker's basement you know uh, yeah that was how i did it for seven years i i made films like this like this way and uh it's just one of the most breathtaking uh, documentaries I've seen. Um, it's, uh, you know, challenging towards what women are supposed to uh, uh, 
or, or good women, quote, good women are supposed to be in modern Indian society, um, the access she gets to these dancers and the men who, um, you know. Yeah, that was, to, to be honest, that was the most surprising thing for me. When I go out at night, sometimes the customer sees me and says, look, there goes that naked dancing girl, that whore. I say, you enjoyed me on stage and now you say this? That's when I feel shame. Louie and I both found these documentaries. I believe you can actually find So Far From India on archive.org. Um, if you're in the uh, mood to, to seek it out, I, I recommend it. Um, India Cabaret is much harder to find. Um, Louis and I are amazing. <laughs> and, uh, so Tactics. We both, yeah, we both got to see it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, the thing that surprised me the most was the access to the men who frequent these clubs. Uh, I will say, as a former strip club DJ, mm-hmm. um, the the it's nothing is very scandalous no, but so, no. but our society yeah. is so different and also you have to remember um i was a dj 15 years removed from when this documentary was made so obviously times change taste change but i was shocked at like how innocent the stripping yeah. seemed to be it was much more like burlesque than it was you know anything right. insanely sexual right. and uh but like literally there's a scene in this movie where the the one of these women can't even go inside the house that she grew up in because her mother has cast her out and she's yeah. not allowed in there anymore. Yeah, and, and this is just like a part of. I mean, so in 1987, she makes Children of Desired Sex about um, the Indian custom of awarding female fetuses, and India Cabaret is similarly is about the hypocrisy of male notions of virtue. It's you know this idea that these men are like oh, these women are scum, they're throwing away their virtue, and these are not good women. And she asks them point blank, and what about the men who participate? And they're like, oh, no, these are fine men, like, high men. What's wild, and the best part about India Cabaret, though, she t- she's talking to these men, and they themselves point out the hypocrisy. They say, yeah. Yeah, you know, these... um you know, politicians are the first ones who say to close it down, but they're also the first ones in line to, to get in here. Um, and it's just uh you know a a wild and that's what i love like she and she has even said she left her home to go live with these women for two months and her family her father especially was like sick of it like sick of her um and she you know gave it right back to him he says um you know if these women are scum then what about the men who are you know giving them money coming to the clubs and he's like no 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 they're sophisticated men of the world and she and i love that she's able to like serve that up on film in such a beautiful and um uh i don't know like pristine way um yeah i I feel i feel very lucky and happy that we were able to uh watch that kevin yeah i i think uh unfortunately i don't think either of us were able to find um children with desired sex but uh of the documentaries that we were able to get um genuinely india cabaret is like of such a caliber i will say though and because we're about to move out of her documentary life um you know in in contrast to something like a da pennebaker film or or cinema verite and these are cinema verite but she's very much a part of them you Mm -hmm. know um uh in uh, so far from India, she narrates a lot of it. And then in uh, India Cabaret, you hear her asking questions of these women. Um, and I think that is such an interesting thing because 
uh, D.A. Pennebaker was always more interested in letting reality play out as it would without him. You know, he's fly on the wall and, and didn't want to be seen just sort of, And I think that lends itself, A, to the thing that we're going to get to, which is that Miranair moves into fiction film because she can control it. Right. And yeah. I think that also goes back to her theater background, yeah. that she wants to be just a tiny bit of part of the action, which is great. It's not a negative. I think these documentaries wouldn't work as well without her authorial voice involved. But it is interesting that she came up with her own style and her own way of, of, of telling these stories. Yeah. And so she felt a little lost for a little while. I mean, it, one of the reasons why it's so hard to find these, it's like, even I'm, I'm reading this right now, India Cabaret was bought by PBS and then rejected by Channel 13, which is PBS's New York affiliate. And so there was this like, she was making all this great work, but no one wanted to see it. Um, the community in India was saying, you know, why aren't you showing us as doctors and with Porsches and like the fancy Indian stuff that you see in mainstream Indian movies? Like uh, when, and you, when you think of mainstream Indian movies, you think, you know, Bollywood, um, what they like to um, the term of masala movies, which is a mix of everything. You've got the dancing, the singing, the action, the comedy. Um and she was like, I am not interested in that at all. Uh, <laughs> India Cabaret actually opened the Indian International Film Festival in Hyderabad. I'm probably saying that so wrong. So sorry. Um, and um, so Mitch Epstein, the photographer from Harvard, 25, so hot. They're, they're together now. Um, he actually was the cinematographer. And he says that it was actually a pretty big sensation. And... So it's from there they realize, okay, you know what? Let's let's try and make a fucking movie. So it's and, and again, imagine you've got Mary Nair, um, her paramour husband Mitch, and her good friend Suni, and they're in India. And um, she tells a story that they were in a cab and she saw a boy who was, as she describes, just a torso and a head, and he was on a plank of wood with wheels, holding onto a rope. And she says she saw him um, just so full of life, you know, and so free of self-pity. And that is the seed of uh, the idea for the movie uh, Salam Bombay. Yeah, the concept is that these are street children, children who have to grow up so fast and and unlike other children who are, are denied a childhood. And yet there's something that causes them to hold on to the that grasp of childhood that that they they still want to play they still want to be children and and still find a way to make that happen even though their circumstances are so dire which is why i made salam bombay as a fiction film because i wanted to stop hitting and running you know i wanted to stop that i wanted to be more in control you know of the the light and the sound you know and the the, the gesture but actually in my documentaries it was like i'm describing very raw and very uh, very much like this right and at first she thought that the movie was too huge too ambitious and suni said bitch no guts no glory let's go for it and it, it i mean watching the movie it's a huge movie um, it is i mean bombay is one of the largest cities in india just like massive amount of people and the subject matter that they were tackling was intense it wasn't like this tiny little movie just like with two characters they had to round up a hundred street kids with yeah. actual street kids of bombay and they um, did like this acting workshop where they whittled down. Um, I, I believe they used a lot of the kids in the movie, but they had to whittle down 
um, to the core kids who they were going to use as the main characters of the movie. And um, Suni wrote the screenplay and they came up with a story together based on the interviews that they did from these kids. The It's funny, too, um, because it, it shot for such a long time. And they were, you know, in the process of putting uh, this this group of children together. One of the people cast was uh, Irfan Khan, who is a very famous actor. You would recognize him. He's been in a lot of American films. He's a very famous Bollywood actor. This was his first film role. He was cast as one of the children. And she suddenly realized by the end of by the time that they started shooting, he was too tall. Lol. Yeah, so he he ends he is in the film. He has a very small scene in which he plays a transcriber uh, for a child. But it, but it is really funny that his screen debut was uh, was kiboshed. You know, his lead role was kiboshed because he was too tall. He was like six foot something. But he's he's an amazing actor and he shows up in a lot of her films later as well. So um, it's, not, it's not like he got a raw end of the deal. Can I say, though, that scene that you just described that he's in made my, made my jaw drop. Yeah. It's the most heartbreaking, um, and I just, I mean, Salam Bombay is about a street kid who, you know, his parents um, have left him, essentially, because he was a bad kid, not really, but whatever. Yeah, um, he, set a, he set a motorbike on fire as, a, right. as an act of rebellion, as, you know, and I know that sounds like a lot, but as kids are wont to do, like, yeah. he, he didn't have any other way to rebel. Right, these are just kids who, you know, don't know better about anything. Um, he is sold to a circus. The circus leaves him behind. He ends up in Bombay, just like f- trying to find work on the street. Right. He, His mother, when she left him with the circus, said that if he could find 500 rupees to pay back for the uh, bike that he ruined, he could come home. And so he's desperately, which like is a lie. Like as a as an adult audience member, you know that that's a, she's just trying to get rid of her child. Right. But he's desperately trying to get those 500 rupees so he can return to his family. Right. And so the entire movie is just like he, he meets a bunch of different you, you meet a lot of street kids. There's a lot of uh, stuff about, you know, drug use, sex work, um, just like the horrors of uh, what kids on the street have to face to survive. Um, so uh, production of this movie um, Epstein would later say was quote hellish it was a David and Goliath situation um, they you know they had no money she they started filming the movie without even having the budget to finish it um, and and just fully you know seat of their pants getting it done um, at the end of it she said I'm so worn out um, demanding hoping and making it happen a section of my hair has turned completely gray she was only 30 years old. The pain of it, the loneliness of it, and the, the fact that you can never go back to a home that you once knew, that is the loneliness of a street child. And that's what Salam Bombay, you know, both is about and came from. She was able to get money from a French company to finish it. And I'm, I, as the credits rolled, it said like Indian credits, US credits, French credits. I was like, what the fuck, French? But they did not do anything except give money. And for that, I'm thankful. Um, only three days after she had finished cutting the movie, it made its world premiere at the closing gala at Cannes, and um, it got a standing ovation for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and it was the first Indian film to win the Camera d'Or, and it also earned her an Oscar nomination, which I believe is the second um, Indian foreign language Oscar nomination. I know it's wild. So I looked up, I was like, what else was uh, that year? Um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown was uh which we talked about in our antonio banderas was also nominated that year neither of these two incredible movies won uh, a movie from denmark won of course you know what denmark has 
white people. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Salam Bombay puts her on the map. And it's because of that movie that her uh, she's able to she makes her first U.S. Um, movie. And that is 1989. And she does Mississippi Masala. Uh, which is just, oh, uh, what a movie. And this is a movie she's wanted to make for a while because she says when she was at Harvard, she was essentially treated as a go-between. She yep. was lighter than the black students, but darker than the white students. And she sort of got along and she loved the concept of, of you know, these communities that are considered outsiders who treat each other in the way that's that's sort of an adopted racism um and and so mississippi masala is you know first of all young denzel Uh, (sighs) um (laughs) yeah truly Uh, dreamy um and sarita chowdhury just a beautiful human being and like honestly like one of the most beautiful women on the planet i need her in the funny thing is is she's still working to this day she does like two movies a year so she's not hurting for work but like i need her in more work i need her in more things yeah um but uh and um yeah and it's it's just this it's this film about race it's about a, a family an indian family um who are ugandan born and they end up having to uh leave uganda because uh idi amin uh, sends out his his anti-Asian order that basically says all Asians need to leave the African country of Uganda. And they they end up in Mississippi uh, as outsiders. But also there is a the black community in Mississippi who are also considered outsiders. And yet they just can't seem to get it together. Right. It's it's, you know, a lo- I think we're going to see this theme a lot um, as the more we get into our movies, this idea of what is home what makes home where is home um in mississippi masala her the the patriarch of this indian family he says africa is my home i was born in uganda i belong in uganda and his best friend who is a black ugandan says africa is for africans and that is the the breaking point for him and right and, and you see that and that comes up again so essentially it's a it comes full circle with this love story um, the mirrored parallel of that scene too yes. um, that I that I love is um I mean there's a lot with that scene. A lot of stuff goes back to that scene, and it's cool to build an entire movie essentially around a scene. Um, because you would think that this movie would just be the love story between Denzel and Sarita, but it is not, because this is one of the things I love about Mira Nair is that she um plays so many different levels. She does movies about um you know, inherently you think they're about one person or two people and they're really about 14 people. But one of my favorite scenes in that film is uh, Sarita's at a family barbecue of Denzel and she's talking about how the Indians got to Uganda in the first place, which is they came to build the railroad. And one of the one of the men at the barbecue is like, "Oh, they were slaves." Yeah. Um, and and it just hits. She's just like, "I mean, I guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah um there's the cultural exchange between her and denzel is so innocent and pure and you can see their love building on that and what's hard to see is that her parents obviously have been hardened by their experience um and i think the probably the most famous scene is when denzel tries to come and find her and get her and he lays it out. I know you and your folks can come down here from God knows where and be about as black as the ace of spades. And as soon as you get here, you start acting white and treating us like we your doormats. I know that you and your daughter ain't but a few shades from this right here. That I know. It takes, I think, a very special person 
uh, awoke, enlightened, whatever the fuck word you want to say, to be like, I understand what the color of my skin means. No matter where I'm from, I know what this color means for me and what I'm able to do. And I w- it, it's shocking, you know, for a yeah. movie in 1989 and for Denzel to have a scene with this grown Indian man and for Denzel to say, I know how you look at me. You can come from yeah. wherever you want and don't talk to me about struggles. I know. I know that you look at me and my skin is this dark and what that means. And I was like, whew. Um, and I lo- I just love that movie. The ending of the movie is glorious. Yeah. It's wonderful. Great it's a good one. It really is. One. Much like this is this happens to a lot of other filmmakers and it's kind of interesting. You can really trace this to uh, Mira Nair's uh, career is that she she does a really successful low budget movie and then Hollywood's oh, yeah. like please do our big movie and she's like sure I guess yeah and yeah. it comes out and so her next film is the Perez uh, family the Perez family oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah and the Perez family is a bit of a mess I please if anybody and I, I'm begging like I rarely do this I'm begging you to correct me if I'm wrong um, the Prez family is based is a is a novel about Cubans uh, about uh, Cuban exiles. It is a novel written by a white woman. I've from as much as I've been able to find, she appears to be a white woman. Now I know a lot of Cubans are white, and I know a lot of Cubans identify as white. But for the film, they decided <sighs> to make everybody as brown as possible, including oh, don't. Browning Marissa Tomei. To the point where, like, she looks like she's she just spent weeks inside a tanning bed. Marissa Tomei doing her Cuban accent is the most cringe thing I've ever heard. I hate it, and I hate the dialogue. I hate the when she's like, like oh, Elvis like, Presley. I love Elvis Presley, <laughs> and I'm going to America. And I was like, oh man, I, I don't want to do it. Like your. <laughs> I can do it. You you can do it. You are allowed. You are not white and I will I will but I I literally I would be embarrassed beyond belief and I know it's not my place. Uh, I mean I bet but, you I bet Marissa Marissa who is a good woman. I bet you yes. she watches that and she's like that was a joke and that is sucks that we should and, not and, have done that. And we are saying this of a place of love because genuinely I love Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Genuinely. I am like Cuba. Used by many, conquered by no one. And I'll give it this pretty, pretty, you know, she's great with colors. It's it's sort of like I was thinking about this. Her style is she loves realism. She casts a lot of non-actors in her films, like yep. a lot, a lot of non-actors. There's some really great scenes in Mississippi Masala where um, there's people dancing. Actually, two of my favorite scenes that are have nothing to do with the plot of the movie are people dancing. And it's very clear that they're just non-actors, yeah, yeah. extras, because they're like looking into the camera. It's a very documentarian sort of. Um, and But she brings such a um, non-real reality to these films by the way she uses color. And it's always very lush and reds really pop. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, Amadovar earlier. Like, I really think outside of Amadovar, she's like the one working director who really just can use reds and and, oh. and really saturate them and make them really gorgeous. And and I, I don't know. So Prez family, pretty to look at. I did not have a problem looking at it. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. The next movie she makes is Kama Sutra. Yes. Which um, she calls an aberration. <laughs> um, 
again, it is gorgeous. Yeah. It is, um, you know, set in like it, the 16th century India. Um, and Sarita Chowdhury is also in it. She is like a princess. And it's basically just like these two women who are friends as children. They become rivals later in life. Um, sexual rivals. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know what she was trying to do here. I think she certainly was trying to talk yeah. about like sex and like women. She demanded when it came out for India to have women only screenings of it so they could feel comfortable watching the movie, which is a um good gesture, except the movie kind of sucks. <laughs> I uh my I think my favorite review of it uh basically was somebody saying like two women fighting over one man can't relate. No, never. <laughs> never, <laughs> like, never, 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 never. So so like yeah, that's I mean that's exactly how I felt about it watching it. Um you know, her next big movie is going to come after that. It's funny because she she doesn't work in the in the realm of, of big motion pictures for another five years, except yep. for one one TV movie that she did in between, which is a 1998 Showtime movie called My Own Country. The lead actor is Naveen Andrews. Uh, most people so recognize hot. him. Yeah, most people recognize him from Lost. He uh, was he was the evil prince in Kama Sutra. He is. He is. He's so good. He's so good in this movie. But he I is. will say this movie, uh, it's a film about a Indian doctor who moves to rural Tennessee to study the AIDS crisis in the 80s. I totally I a, understand why Showtime wanted it because they were like, oh, HBO has their fucking and the band played on. Well, we can we can do our own AIDS movie. The problem is Showtime in the in the 90s was not HBO. So they were like, here's five dollars. Make uh-huh. this movie. Uh-huh. Um, she's she's, she's, it, she's low budget. Yeah. But but it, for the you know, I'll be honest, for the most part, I, I really did like it a lot. And um shout out once again to marissa tomei who's in it's so funny she's all over the poster um she is in oh, the movie she is for, all over the poster yeah she's in the movie for maybe 10 minutes um but also uh hal holbrook swoozy kurtz and uh r.i.p my fave glenn Headley. um i love glenn Headley so much and i i miss her so much and it's hard to believe she's been dead for three years uh but yeah the uh it's a really good cast and it's really and it's it's for free on Tubi if you're interested in watching it. But yeah. also, no, visually, it is not the it is not the mirror and I are that you're used to. You know, she definitely she was like, I'll take your five dollars and I will cut the corners because I believe in this movie. And yeah. Yeah. So Grace stands up in church. She tells the whole goddamn church that Clyde has AIDS. And would the church be willing for him to come there because he very much wants to? Did you or Clyde ask her to do that? Hell no. She just took it on herself to do it. And by the way, the congregation said no. And then they came to my house to tell me this. I just said to her, you little dumbass. Who told you to go talking like that? How would you feel if the shoe was on the other foot? Yeah, it's 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 a surprisingly sensitive um, movie, which I, I really appreciated for the subject matter. Um, okay, so she is stuck in a rut, essentially. She's feeling frustrated with her career. She had, you know... It, it went off with a bang. And then after that success, she had some flops. She's only getting these like little TV things. And so uh, she does one more little um, documentary, The Laughing Club of India. Um, but at that point, she was like, what is next? And so she said she wanted to go back to basics. And so they went to India, her and her screenplay partner, um, Suni, and they decide to make Monsoon Wedding. Um, and Monsoon Wedding, they made for $1 million doll hairs. 
Um, there is 68 speaking roles in that movie. It looks yes. gorgeous. It sounds amazing. It's what? Funny, devastating, yeah. um, dramatic, beautiful, iconic, and never be the same. <laughs> What's amazing, too, is she is so proud of the film that she's able to put together in such a low budget and in such amount of time that in the end credits, one of the last credits in the film uh, comes up the the words, we are like that. Only 40 locations, 30 days exactly and approximately. And I fu- that is that is a flex. Oh, I love that. And, so and I love it. That. I love it. Yeah. And uh, um, and it, what's really cool is also the movie's called Monsoon Wedding. You don't see the wedding until the end credits. You don't see the, the, the wedding itself like yeah. occurs during the end credits. Um, and the other thing I want to bring up about the about credits, uh, by the way, too, and this is all throughout her career. And I don't know if you noticed this. Almost every single one of her films is dedicated to someone or something. Uh, Monsoon Wedding oh my is God, for you're my right. Yeah, uh, Monsoon, and I don't know any other director who's that personal. That it, you know. Um, but she, Monsoon Wedding, has the thing that says "for my family" at the end, and I love that she has so much love for the people in her life and the people that have supported her that she's able to sort of call them out and immortalize them. Um, because you know, film lives forever. Right. Uh, and, and I, I love that for her, but yeah, monsoon wedding, um, uh, like you said, there's so many storylines. I mean, how do you, how do you describe everything that's going on? It's about a, a father who's stressed. It's about, a, a a bride who's secretly carrying on with an affair, um, an event planner who falls in love with another woman at the, at the wedding. Um, it's, relatives. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's just this like multicultural, um, invitation to love life and love love um and it is just you know a a joy bomb you know a joy to watch right um a a joy uh to experience it's incredible um so this movie comes out unfortunately this movie comes out um right around 9-11 so it kind of um doesn't get a big um you know it, it probably does not get as big as it should have gotten but at the time it was one of the top 10 highest grossing foreign films of all time in the u.s um and it also it wins the golden lion it wins the golden lion at the venice film festival um you know it was nominated by the baftas for best film not in english language nominated for the golden globe awards for best foreign language film so yeah it's i mean it doesn't go unnoticed but unfortunately the public sort of right right which which i would say Um, of it as its legacy, I think this is what people think of when they think of Mira Nair. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, also, um, after uh, in like the this movie, the story lives on. Um, it there's a musical made about this uh, movie. Yes, um, it uh, was. What What's cool about the musical too is Mira herself directed it. Yeah. And she's been she's been trying to get it. Um, and unfortunately, it has a it has a date of August 2020. And we'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But um, yeah. But because of the success of this movie, um, she gets thrown a lot of offers. Um, also, I did not mention she all of her movies are produced by her own company, Mirabai Pictures. Um, yes. F- from the smallest things to the biggest things, she is able to get a co-producing um, byline on all these movies, which is what? Yeah. A stunt, a flex. 
a queen. Yeah. Uh, she she has she has said she's not interested in making a film in which that 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 she doesn't have um some sort of credit on or right. or, or some sort of control over. Um and and it, like she she said there's been plenty of films that she hasn't gotten final edit on, but for the most part, you know, she has some hand in in bringing those those things to the screen besides just being a hired gun. Um, really quickly in her personal life, um, when she was in Uganda researching for Mississippi Masala, she meets um, who would later become her second husband. And that is Mahmoud Mabdani, um, who was a um, professor in Uganda. And she says, you know, we just met and it kind of was just immediate. And she realized, you know, her marriage to Mitch was just kind of there. Um, and the passion for Mahmoud was just too strong. And so they got divorced and she married Mahmoud and they are still together today. So at the time she had been offered, can you imagine, she was offered uh, the uh, adaptation of Fever Pitch. Um, she turns that down. But wasn't Fever Pitch, who did that star? Um, it, it stars Jimmy Fallon uh... and Drew Barrymore. And it's funny because I wonder if she was offered it back so it was it was once made into a movie before with colin firth yeah it's a nick hornsby novel about soccer and i'm assuming when she was involved it was still maybe about soccer but eventually ends up being about the red sox yeah yeah womp womp um she's also offered a sylvia plath movie she also rejects and she accepts vanity fair before we get to vanity fair while she's finishing up uh doing monsoon wedding she is asked by uma thurman to direct an HBO film. It's an adaptation of a play written by the same playwright, Laura Cahill. It's a film called Hysterical Blindness. It's an HBO original movie. Um, and she reads it. She loves it. And it's it's a, a movie about women. Um, and it's Uma Thurman, uh, Juliette Lewis, and fucking Gina Rollins. And Gina I Rollins... The Notebook? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I said what and, I said. And... Uh, and what's great is Gina Rollins has a love interest in the film played by Ben Gazzara. Gina Rollins was famously um, uh, married to and a muse of John Cassavetes. Ben Gazzara is also in many of John Cassavetes' films. So it's a very beautiful reunion between those two people. Um, and I, I will I will tell you, I cried every time they're on screen together. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, Which is funny because this is not that movie. No. But, um, but I was just like, I love you so much. Um, but This movie is uh, a little kooky-booky for me. I, I'm just yeah. going to say it. No, say it. it's it's not perfect. But one of my favorite things is, so she was finishing up uh, post-production on Monsoon Wedding right as she launched into uh, the shooting of Hysterical Blindness. So she actually got the cast of Hysterical Blindness together to watch an early screening of, uh, of Monsoon Wedding. And when it ended, Gina Rollins pulled her aside and said, John Cassavetes and you are like brother and sister. And Mira Nair said, no, I'm just his pupil. Mm. <laughs> and, and Gina Rollins, his widow, said, no, he saw the world with despair and you see it with joy. Oh, wow. Fuck me yeah. up. Yeah, I love that. Sorry. Anyways, so uh, after ending that, yeah, she she gets offered everything in the world. She ends up picking Reese Witherspoon's. Vanity, Vanity Fair. Fair. Yeah, and I think she had high hopes for Vanity Fair. She said, you know, uh, I think she wanted to transform Reese from, like, the cute, like, America sweetheart into a woman. Um, <laughs> Vanity Fair, again, beautiful gowns. Is it the longest movie I've ever seen? Maybe. Um, 
certainly feels like it. I will say this, and the huge mistake, and I get, I genuinely get maybe what they were trying with it, is Vanity Fair is a novel about uh, a woman who is, you know, Becky Sharp, who's born to low means and will do anything she can in her power to achieve uh, a lifestyle that she thinks she deserves, which is, you know, a rich lifestyle, uh, an upper class lifestyle. <clears throat> if anybody's ever read Vanity Fair, uh, Becky Sharp is what we would commonly know today as a sociopath. Mm -hmm. She literally doesn't give a shit about anybody. She will step on anyone's neck to get what she wants. And this version of Vanity Fair, and I've also heard that the the, the later BBC adaptation makes the mistake of humanizing this character. And admittedly, like, I get it. The book is written by a man. Mm -hmm. And so I get why you would, like, maybe bristle at that, you know, it, William MacPace Thackeray's novel, his depiction of this woman as being sort of ruthless and uncaring. And as a woman, I get why you'd be like, oh, man, maybe we shouldn't present it that way. That's what makes the book. You're right. <laughs> and, and so if you present this sort of like and and I feel bad for saying it this way, because uh, I don't think this is all 100 percent Reese's fault. But this is essentially Elle Woods as Becky Sharp, where mm. she's like nice and like yeah she does some stuff to get what she wants but really her heart's in the right place and it's like mm -mm, bitch no we're soldiers wives we live with uncertainty how would you feel if you had spent last night alone while your husband danced with another woman if you have stolen his last evening from me i shall never forgive you how could you say such a thing i won't listen to it if you must hear the truth, your George is not what? My George is not what? Is not the man to see you risk your health or his baby. Come inside and we'll wait together. Well, I think, I mean, I just had an issue with, I think, even like the original source material because it, the movie that Mira is presenting to us feels like it wants to be this sumptuous long romance and you're like okay yeah we're getting there but then because the text is saying like and then he fucking dies get her the fuck out it it just treats its character so poorly and it could definitely be just a great movie about a woman who is able to use her wiles and charms to you know make her way in up in society like if it was that movie i'd be like great but instead it's just like you know yeah she was a smart and clever girl but fuck her a lot. <laughs> I mean, I I disagree, but I I I understand I understand what you're saying. It's not a great adaptation. It's not a great anything. Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. Um, <laughs> Mayor and I are beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. Um, so so mean because she's such a better better director than that movie. She's presents. an excellent director, but also. Bitch knows how to make some beautiful gowns. Okay, oh, absolutely. Like... One of my favorite touches, and just to prove like what a what a fucking student of filmmaking she is. And I I don't know if this was a edict of hers or if this was the costume designer, but the fact that it's even in the film. One of the one of the dresses in the film is the exact same dress worn by one of the lead characters in the Soviet War and Peace, mm. which is just like just mm, chef's kiss of design. Like yeah. ah. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, 2006, The Namesake. Um, I love this movie. I 
weep my fucking face off watching this movie. It is just a three bell alarm fucking like outsider. What is home? Who am I? Kind of story that I'm a sucker for. Um, and the rare Cal Penn vehicle that he gets to like, you know, I don't think we had seen him outside of um, White Castle, whatever the fuck that movie's called. Harold and Kumar. Yeah. Right. We had not seen him outside of Harold and Kumar um, do anything. And, and then the namesake comes along and I was like, damn, 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 damn. <laughs> I love the movie so much. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Irfan Khan shows up. He plays Cal Penn's father in it. I kept hearing Gosha's voice in my head. Back a pillow and blanket. See the world. You will never regret it. That is how I came to America. And you got your name. Come. Maxine will be waiting for you. Baba, is that what you think of when you think of me? Do I remind you of that night? Not at all. You remind me of everything that followed. Every day since then has been a gift. That film comes out in 2006. Right. Um, right before she's about to gear up to make that movie, she is offered Harry Potter 4. Can and you what's in- imagine? And, and what's interesting about that is um, Alfonso Cuaron, who directed the third Harry Potter movie, was offered the Perez family and he passed and she took it. And then I love the fact that following her, following him, and I do see some visual similarity. I mean, very, very different instincts, both of these directors. But um, I I think it's interesting that she was um, offered the one immediately after that, because I guess other people see it as well. But she ends up, you know, she goes really back and forth with it. She's like, it would have been the biggest movie of her career, honestly. I was once offered Harry Potter 4, and and I, I was, um, and I thought I must take that seriously because my son learned how to read from Harry Potter. So, uh, and I, but I was just about to shoot the namesake and my son, and I went through all these Warner Brothers meetings and it was very, you know, moving to London, three years. I mean, I was really contemplating it, but torn because I was, engaged with really another project of my own, which was the namesake. And I remember my 14-year-old telling me, uh, Mama, any good director can make Harry Potter, but only you can make the namesake. And it was such a epiphany. He's not wrong. No, yeah. one, no one else would have made the namesake. Um, right. And the namesake is just really quickly about, uh, you know, this m- man in India. Um, he... Uh, has an arranged marriage they move to the united states um they start a family and it's literally just i mean it hit me as this like first generation you know these kids growing up and not understanding what their parents have been through going back to india kind of hating it and complaining about it but also realizing oh my god like I understand now just learning about themselves growing up, rejecting, you know, (laughs) rejecting who you are and then uh, uh, eventually coming around and accepting who you are. Yeah. Uh, It's, it hit me hard. (laughs) It always hits me hard. I I, I saw uh, when I was in school. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I loved it. So. Um, Moving over. She does a couple of shorts here and there. She has a short in New York. I love you. In 2009, she returns to Hollywood and does the um, 
I mean, I can't, I can't believe there's not a this had Oscar buzz episode about this movie. Fucking yeah. Amelia, <laughs> Amelia, um, um, with starring Hillary Swank, just swinging for the rafters for another Oscar. Yeah, um, and, everyone talking like this. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm gonna fly that plane. We're gonna get that plane off the ground. <laughs> Uncanny. Ev- everyone moving their shoulders when they talk because that's the other way you can get this vibrato going. Yeah, Amelia is technically a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> that's actually a perfect way to describe it. I have some theories as to why Amelia is bad, but maybe we'll talk about it later. Who knows? <laughs> Who can ever be sure? In 2012, she does The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Yes. Um, this fundamentalist, he's reluctant. He's um, reluctant. Um, I, this is a hard movie. It's, yeah. I, as I was watching it, I was like, I do not like action thriller Mira Nair. I don't like it. No. Uh, and it's and it's maybe her ugliest film. Ugly. Like, ev- everything is brown. Um, It does not have her signature sort of vibrancy. And I get what she's saying. You know, she said it so many times. And, and this was a passion project of hers as well. It took her, I think she said, five years to get the funding for it because nobody wanted to do a movie about terrorism post 9-11. And she has said life was hell post 9-11. I am a New Yorker, and it's the most international city in the world in which people who look like all of us here will never feel anything but at home, except after 9-11. After 9-11, people who look like us were the other. It is based off a book. You can tell it's based off a book. It's structured in such a book way, and it's like a bestseller book. Um, I've read a lot of articles about how the movie sort of is a... And it's funny because I don't know how much Hollywood... Um, money went into it, but it's a very Hollywood version of this book. It never dives too deep into any of the discussions it's it's having, and I get that impulse because essentially she wants to bring in the largest audience as possible to get those ideas out there, but man, oh man, it is not the presentation. Well, it's, it's, you know, trying to go for the most digestible version of, like, see, don't fucking think that, you idiots, like, believe in humanity. Um, Right. It's just so hard, you know, when Kate Hudson is there. Um... And and what, like, honestly, cut her out of the film. And I get, I get why, like, like with but that the, wig. But yeah, Kate Hudson's character is up there for my like all time, like, like Cameron Diaz and Gangs of New York, like women who don't need to be in a movie mm-hmm. yet are. And I get it. I get why. Like, like the it's another part of his like she breaks his heart he breaks her heart and it like hardens him for his but you know you don't need it it's it's like it's an extra piece and it's one of those things where like obviously this came from the novel really should have been cut out really really get rid of it i'm sorry is this like a magazine shoot or something no no it's not that official just photographing these guys for a new project Mm -hmm. i wasn't trying to kill you so and i won't kill you i promise we'll see in lahore in pakistan where i'm from kids don't fly on skateboards they fly kites kites Really? I don't know your name. Oh, Chungiz. Ah, stay on your mark. Chungiz. Chungiz? That's right. Very good. We'll say Riz Ahmed. So hot. Riz Ahmed, always. I I have been saying since maybe 2012, Riz Ahmed should be James Bond. Wow. I'm saying saying it now. I'm saying it it. now. I like it. Um, In 2016, she makes Queen of Katwe um, for Disney. Um, we both watched this. We both were like, wow, a moment, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. tears of joy. Well, I think what makes what what really sells Queen of Cotway is that it is one of the most non-Disney Disney movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And um, it, it is literally not 
towing the company line. <laughs> right. And I think um, it was an ESPN co-production as well. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I, this was come come kind of coming off of Lupita Nyong'o's Oscar win. So she had a lot of like goodwill in her as well. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just like this movie about chess and yeah. children from the slums of uh, Uganda. Uganda. Um, and and like Lupita Nyong'o and David Oyelowo are the only stars in it. Everybody else is local, um, I, whether they be a trained actor or a first time actor. It is once again a return to her roots of using a lot of non actors. Uh, she said when she cast Lupita, the first thing she did was uh, she was like Lupita and her the the actors playing her children. She was like, you're going to cook them a meal. Mm. You're going to go to the market and you're going to cook them a meal as though you were their mother. And she listened to their reactions about, you know, like the kids being like, this isn't that great. Or like, why can't you make food? Like, and she's like, all in the script, using it all. Wow. And, and I love, I love that because what it was is a way to normalize Lupita into the place that she was living and, and playing. And she was no longer an Academy Award winning actress. She was a, a woman from the slums of Uganda, a woman who doesn't even have a home. Yeah. So um, it's a, beautiful colorful vibrant movie uh has uh tons of kids in it and i love them all i was like i don't hate a single yeah. one of these kid actors yeah blessing and i i just i can't have nice things because it ruins me emotionally and i i like literally text we we try not to talk about films in between the episodes and i texted louie and i was like i just watched queen of Kawe and my day is ruined yeah <laughs> so like... when they return i have arranged for fiona and brian to attend the school where my wife teaches huh on a scholarship. Eh? My wife has been teaching them to read. Yes. Yes, I, I know, and I am grateful, but... But what? Isn't this what you wanted? Education for your children? Yes. But how can I pay for uniforms? How will I sell? What time does school begin in your the morning? children can do more than sell vegetables. They have a chance to go beyond this kind of life, to go to school, maybe one day attend university. Surely you can understand how important that is, eh? Hmm. I am not an educated woman, Mr. Katende. I understand nothing. I mean, at the end, when, like, the credits are rolling and you just see them, like, standing with their real life, you know, like, the actors are there yeah. with the person, I was like, ah! Yeah, I love that they did it like a curtain call. It was yeah. really, really, really Gorgeous. sweet. Gorgeous. Um, and that kind of like brings us to her now. You know, that's kind yeah. of the end of um, Mira's um, output for now. Um, can we talk just a little bit about her altruism, by the way? Oh, honey. Uh, oh, honey. Um, we sure the so, fuck can. So she is 100% an activist. Um, and she, you know, she set up. Uh, Maisha Film Lab in Kampala, Uganda. Uh, since 2005, young directors in East Africa have trained at this nonprofit facility uh, with the belief that, quote, if we don't tell our stories, no one will. This is something she has said constantly in interviews that she learned this in film school. She does not want white men telling her stories. Yep. The people who finance films normally are those who finance films of stories that look like them. Yeah. So the white boys in Hollywood like to finance white boy stories, right. you know, mm -hmm. pretty much. I'm yeah. speaking generally, but uh, speaking pretty much. Mm -hmm. It is always a struggle to convince uh, others who have never seen your world mm -hmm. or people who look like you yeah. to convince them that your stories 
A can sell tickets mm -hmm. and B can uh, be about themselves as well. Yeah. You see? And I really believe the mantra that I started my film school with, which is if we don't tell our own stories, no one else will tell it. You know? Right. And do we really want to sit here and let other people speak for us? Mm -hmm. No. In 98, she used profits from Salam Bombay to create the Salam Balak Trust, uh, which works with street children in India. She also kept in contact with a lot of the kids she used in the movie. The main kid apparently uh, like does a a motorized rickshaw in India. I remember when Slumdog Millionaire came out and there was a sensation in the US and people were like, what the fuck about the kids in that movie? And it was because of pressure from the public that Danny Boyle decided to start like, you know, giving money and funds to lift these kids out of the absolute poverty that they were living in. Mira was 30 years young. No one had to fucking tell her. She no. had no money to even finish her movie. And she off the bat said, I'm going to start a trust for the kids of Bombay. So and and to this day, thousands of kids on the street are, you know, placed in homes and given help to succeed in life because of the work she did 20 plus years ago. Like, who, what the? And this is just goes back to like her saying no one else can tell our stories. And she because for her, this is not just her work. This is personal. And yes, and it just like speaks so much to her her work ethic, who she is as a person. Oh, I love it. On that note, to Nikita Waligwa, uh, who is one of the young actresses in uh, Queen of Cotway. She's the young girl uh, who teaches Fiona, teaches her the rules of chess. Um, she found out during the filming of this movie that she was suffering from a brain tumor. She was uh, about uh, 11 years old. Um, Mira paid for all of her medical treatment. And unfortunately, she passed away this year, but uh, at the age of 15. But like, once again, that's that's so like, who who does that? Right. And she's like, I know I have money. I know I have the ability to give back. These are people I care about and things I care about. And uh, yeah, just really fantastic. Yeah, people would say like that's not none of my business, but for her, this isn't just business. You know, this right. is important storytelling. Getting, I mean, at, off the top of like anyone would hear like, oh, why is this Indian woman directing a movie about you know these Ugandan African children? And it's like she has such a personal connection to this community, and it makes the perfect sense for her to be there and to be directing this movie. And um, yeah, it's. It's just fascinating, and I think, and and I I agree. I think I think her vocation, it, like obviously her chosen profession is filmmaker, and it's her art, and it's the way that she gets her voice out in the world. And I think you know maybe maybe not enough people have heard it yet, but I think her her true passion is people mm. helping people, telling stories, telling you know not the normal white people stories, and 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 alerting people to the fact that there are these other races out there there are other people who whose story is just as important than what you hear 99 percent of the day and i think that is maybe a perfect place to move into our picks let's do it i think for my one star review unfortunately i'm going to have to pick amelia which is i mean same yeah it's a 2009. It's maybe her biggest film. Um, it is a biopic of Amelia Earhart. Um, and most of the story is told in flashback. Uh, everybody knows the story of Amelia Earhart. She was the first woman pilot to to fly internationally. She disappeared while flying, um, attempting to fly around the world. Amelia Earhart probably is a great person to tackle for a biopic because I think we all know 
like I, I would say a majority of Americans know the one thing about her. This was the woman that got lost trying to fly around the world. I did not know where she was from. I did not know like her struggles and hardships growing up. I thought, oh, let us learn. And yet I learned nothing. Um, and and that's maybe the biggest problem in the movie. Like I get I get the thought process of doing it. Like um, Amelia Earhart was a, a strong woman who did things by her own means. She pushed her way into the industry. She said, I'm going to do the same thing that men are doing. Like, why can't women do it? Um, I'm going to have this unconventional marriage where like, I'm basically like, well, I can fool around if I want to, but like, and, and like, I, I totally get these things. I think the biggest problem with the film, because be- beautiful film, by the way. And I, I do want to say, um, I want to give a shout out to Stuart Drybridge's uh, cinematography, like a g- gorgeous looking movie. Um, there's these weird interstitials about her doing commercials. It was maybe my favorite part of the film because it had some life to it. Um, but um, I I think the biggest problem in the film is Mira Nair is interested in people and lives, and she's not interested necessarily in melodrama if it's not earned. And honestly, There is nothing melodramatic about this story other than the fact that she disappears. And, and so it creates this void of drama where you just spend two hours watching people do things and you don't really care about them because it's not that big of a deal, even though it is a big deal, but like they're just going about their lives the way that you would. So in a way it's the one of the few times where I think her instinct about telling stories about real people doing real things got in the way because there's nothing dramatic about it. I kept looking at this film and thinking, man, if this movie had been made in the late thirties or early forties, and maybe if it'd been, um, you know, like Hepburn and, and Tracy, um, and there'd been that element of like dramatic music and like things aren't going great. And you know, there's some, but no, none of that is there. There is no, you know, melodrama by Lord, none, none. And so like, I, it's, it sucks because, like, I think Hilary Swank, it looks just like her. Yes. It's spitting image. Spitting image. And they they try so hard to be like, look at this drama. And it's like, nothing is there. It's like, oh, no, this younger girl wants to be a pilot, too. And Amelia's like, yeah, I love her. It's great. And it's like, why even, <laughs> why even introduce that as a plot point? You know? Like, right. And the whole the whole thing about her being with like, Richard Gere plays for her husband slash publicist, and she's like, "Listen, I want to fuck around," and he's like, "Okay, fine." And so this Ewan McGregor character comes in, and they have like this affair, but it's so uninteresting, you know. Right. There's one, and it, and it doesn't matter, right? None, Com- none of it matters. Nothing, none of it matters. Your story. I also wonder, and I have not done the journalism or the academic research. Was Miss Earhart a bisexual icon, perhaps? I don't know. There's, there's like, there's like little hints about stuff like that. About the like, yes. like I don't want to, I don't want to wear a dress and like that. Well, she's also like complimenting all these beautiful women. Yes. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and in my, I was like, oh my god, please go there, please go there, right. like make it give s- us something. <laughs> but it's just, it, it's hard. I, it's also hard to believe that she's like uncompromising, gonna get her way, blah blah blah. But then literally the first time Richard Gere cries about, you know, stop fucking him, she's like, okay. And like it's it's really frustrating because um, you know, like Christopher Eccleston is in it. He ends up being her navigator during her fated trip around the world, and there's this whole big thing about he's an alcoholic and and so you think like, oh, that's going to play into it. And literally the scene before they do the flight, he's like, no, I'm giving it up. I've, 
I'm sorry. I yeah. won't do it again. And the, then, so I was just like, what is the drama? The <laughs> most dramatic scene of this movie is literally just her on the plane trying to reach them. Um, yeah. You know, and the, the guys down on, on the ground are being like, we can't find Amelia. And and literally, that's the most exciting, like, 10 minutes. Fuel is running low, but unable to receive you by radio. We are flying at altitude 1,000 feet. Over. We are receiving you and transmitting on 3105 and 500 consistently. Over. And then the movie ends, and you're like, yeah. huh. huh. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate, to say the least. I, I will say, I will give a small shout out to uh, um, Cherry Jones as Eleanor Roosevelt because I fucking love Cherry Jones. So, but yeah. What do we, but what do like, we think? Once again, if like, you cut those scenes, who would have missed them? <laughs> like, right. What do you think, like, Mira took this movie on? I, I mean, I, I think, I do think that she saw this, you know, this. <sighs> I think she saw this film about this independent woman who who really was making her own path and saw like a kinship in it. I mean, there, there's so many weird things about the behind the scenes of it. Hilary Swank took the role of executive producer on it. So like, I think there, there was probably I don't know if it was tension, but like there were probably things that Mira wasn't allowed to do because when you have a actor trying to guide their own career uh, who's won an academy award i'm sure there's some tension there as well um right. hillary swank took all these flying lessons uh and then mira and i wouldn't let her fly because it's a uh, fucking psycho yeah because it's well it's a um it's an insurance risk because if yeah. your star dies during a yeah. flight accident so like i, I don't know and then it's funny too because a lot of the dialogue apparently comes from a bunch of books, uh, books, but but like supposedly from real things that were documented that um, uh, that Amelia Earhart said. But then the film was called out for having like numerous historical ac- inaccuracies. So what's wild is I mean like the the film like rides on the the one thing. It's like Amelia, why do you fly? And she's like, why do people do anything? Yeah. You know, and it's like I fly for fun. And I was like, if that she, she she's like that kids in the hall sketch where she's like the power. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like if if the whole if the whole crux of this movie is like, why do we do anything? You know, it's like you got it is so flimsy. And yeah. um, uh, and I, I think I read, you know, like Mira was like, oh, wanting to be free, wanting to like, you know, travel and like see the world. Like I, I related to that in Amelia Hart, blah, blah, blah. But honey, this ain't the one. Um, so, yeah, that's also my one star review. Gavin, oh, my God, we are two weeks in a row. I know we're very in sync, but I, I feel like that one was was a little was a little obvious. I'm coming. Was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like? I mean, there's a couple things in there. Well, there's the Perez family. Yeah, I mean, the Perez family is my if I had to pick a backup one star review, it would be the Perez family, which is not to say that, like, I don't know. I guess Angelica Houston's doing something in that movie. And Alfred Molina's clearly passionate but like the, well, yeah a lot of passion a lot of passion. i mean that was that was maybe the other like a little gross thing about it was it was just like oh latin people they're so spicy like yeah oh, it's so drama like yeah. it's, it's it's sort of the reverse of of um amelia where there's no drama where like that movie would have been like we're out of orange juice and then it would have been a 15 minute scene uh-huh. about everybody yelling at each other about orange juice um so um i think yeah 
I think those two are like the bottom bottom barrel. Yeah. Um, if there was one after that, I would say it's Kama Sutra. Yeah. Um, well, it's so funny that the two big lush period pieces, Karma Sutra and Vanity Fair, are mm. also like the just the big disappointments. Yeah. Um, but the gorgeous, gorgeous to look at, genuine. Like I would, I those movies would play great in the background at a bar. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> like yeah, but like not to sit there and watch. No. No. All right. Let's let's move on to our five star reviews. And I was thinking, I was like, man. Mira, uh, most filmmakers are lucky to have like one masterpiece. Yeah. I truly feel like she has two. You could convince me that she has all three of these are masterpieces, but I'm going to just lay it down and say that um, it has to be Monsoon Wedding. Um, it's uh, what, Gavin? You, you inhaled very sharply. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, is this the first time that we've agreed on both? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> because Monsoon Wedding is also my five star. How can it not be? Right. How can it not be? But what's wild is, though, I was thinking about this. I was like, there's no way that this cannot be it. But also, yeah. this is not like uh, we've had other episodes where it's like there's literally nothing else to choose. Yes. For this, I easily would have said the namesake. Easily would oh. have said Mississippi Masala. Um, because uh, I e- I easily would have said I would I would put Salam Bombay up there too. Like oh. I totally I totally get why Salam Bombay is the film that like launched her into the stratosphere. Oh, because yeah. it's it's like a a perfect um slice of life movie. But you're I I think you're right honestly about all those. I maybe didn't love Mississippi Masala as much as you did, but I think it's because I felt it was a little longer than it should have been. But hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, the namesake wonderful great fantastic um what's the what's the lady gaga gif you know <laughs> iconic, iconic beautiful, beautiful. yeah <laughs> N- so never the same <laughs> yeah uh, but but monsoon please, wedding yeah please Mons- monsoon wedding is just i mean she said it you know there are sometimes you make movies that just have magic in them and this is one of those movies uh and she from a very technical standpoint she was able to finish this movie in short amount of time so many people so much dialogue big uh production set pieces and with little money with her and her screenplay partner who she's known since her school days in harvard it's just like everything about this movie i mean and this movie fundamentally is about love um and celebrating love and looking at it from all different angles and aspects through the lens of this upper middle class um, indian family and it kind of like we were talking about last episode with Danny Glover it's not um it's not trying to explain itself in society uh as a reference to white people uh it is just matter of fact like this is a family and they are so funny they and you see them and you see yourselves and she has said before she is not trying to be the flag bearer of like indian cinema she's not here to teach you anything that's not her job to teach you know westerners that like indians are people <laughs> like you know right and um watching this watching this movie specifically and probably and i would say you know a lot of her movies it's it doesn't feel like you're being preached to it doesn't feel like you know it's like and and we have love in india too it's fully just about you know a family who has grown up moved um to different places they have cousins from australia coming back cousins from uh united states coming back and 
the tensions of like oh you think you're so modern and like living in the new world blah blah, blah. and and then them coming back being like oh you're so traditional even in the movie there are uh, there's like quick scenes of different Indian people in India, you know, talking shit about Punjabis and Hindis and stuff like that. And it's all in jest and in love. And you're just like, oh my God, there's a great scene of the woman who's getting married, the bride-to-be. She's having an affair with a kind of famous um, TV personality. And she goes on set one day and the, the conversation that's happening on set is about censorship in India. And it literally... On the surface, you're like, why are we watching this? It has nothing to do with this wedding, but it has so much to do because everything about the, uh, the conversation about censorship and, you know, what just because you wear, you know, the traditional this and traditional that means that you're in charge of like India's future. Like it, it's coming. It comes all to a head through these relationships between um, this young woman who is kind of feeling like fuck i don't want to have this arranged wedding you know um to a guy that i've never met who lives in houston you know um and also uh, there's a there's so there's five plot lines is that right gavin yeah that sounds right um there's also a darker um plot line about uh, the patriarch uh, yeah uh, the patriarch of the family who um i mean and, and again also the movie is so clever and um subtle it doesn't hit you over the head with anything um, but yeah, this patriarch of the family who um, maybe probably is abusing um, his his younger female family members and yeah. and the, certainly just, has in the past, certainly has in the past. And the idea of a woman speaking out against it and 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 that is not just about like, oh, believe women. That is about like an Indian culture like that is is that a woman's place? Is that vir- virtuous for a woman to say these things about a man who is? you know, paying for this big wedding. Um, and it's just, and so like the movie kind of swirls around this idea of tradition versus, you know, uh, modernity. What happened? It wasn't enough that he touched me when I was a girl. That wasn't enough that you had to teach Alia how older people kiss. Priya, will you stop this nonsense? What did you get out of it? I didn't even have breasts, you sick man. What? But the he's pagan. Seven afternoons. Seven afternoons of of how old people kiss. Yeah. You took my clothes off. Yeah, open your mouth, Ria. Yeah, open your mouth. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. And now he's doing it all over again to Alia. She's lying, Lilith. She, she's lying. You don't want to believe me? I'm not a part of this. I'm not a part of you. It's so joyous and beautiful and the movie really fucking kicks off when there's you mentioned there's this event planner who's, you know, putting together these beautiful tents and um, one of the maids kind of runs into him dropping glass. This like wave of chrysanthemums fall on him and it's like this love spell that's, you know, being it's like the signal of the movie that like the chrysanthemums represent love and um it's just so beautiful and everything is so charming and um there's also this like little boy like the younger brother who is certainly a queer yeah. a queer ally um, yeah he's definitely coded as yeah as gay uh, as gay some sort of queer and he you know again traditional um beliefs and family values uh versus modernity coming together um this movie is her masterpiece yeah i i don't i don't actually um 
have too much to add to that because I think you you described it so beautifully and so well and you talked about all the plot lines and I will say the one thing that uh, I I am also really drawn to uh, and this is not to compare her to to uh, any man at all because she's definitely in her own uh, ballpark but um, I'm a huge fan of Robert Altman I've been a huge fan of Robert Altman my entire life and like this is this is her Nashville which is arguably Robert Altman's masterpiece and Nashville is a film that's about 17 different people and it's all these different plot lines and this is a little more structured than than Nashville but I I love it for that and I love her the this is a film that only a person who started out documentaries could make yes because she brings she brings a reality to it she brings a real life to it and she's exposing an audience to a life that they maybe don't understand and and i i 100 agree with you about the fact that she is not she does not give a shit about doing the code switching for you you gotta do it yourself yeah you gotta you, you gotta sit there and be with this family and realize like it's not her job as you put so eloquently to tell you indians are people and and <laughs> she's just like but look at them they're people living their lives they have their own drama they have their own story and just as we were talking about amelia having no drama whatsoever <laughs> this film is drama but none of it's fake or outlandish it's no. real life it's it's it feels as so it rich happens. it feels so yeah. rich and um it, she has like there's uh, and there's quiet moments there's big moments i mean when the wedding finally happens it's like so luscious she said that she's kind of known for like making things look big and very rich on like shoestring budgets how did she do what? this oh yeah once again she did this film for like just a little over a million dollars and i mentioned that she finished doing this movie and was in post when she started shooting hysterical blindness hysterical blindness hbo film budget seven point Five million dollars that is horrifying i cannot believe yes so the fact that she's able to pull this together to to i don't know she's a magician it, yeah I, I it's just really impressive yeah and it's there's so much love and joy in this movie and i think a lot of like the reviews at the time were saying like you walk out of this movie with so much in your heart um and also i'll note this movie is 60 percent in english okay yeah um and it is not presented as for the audience this is just the fact of this family this is a yeah. family who you know has some means they're not terribly wealthy like you get you get plot of the the dad being like how the fuck am i gonna pay for this but this is obviously a family that is educated whose whose um relatives are all over the world this is a modern indian family and they speak english sometimes and then sometimes yeah. they don't and it's the the ugh. speed in which it like the the speed in which it moves back and forth too between the languages. I on I cannot I can't keep English in my head, <laughs> and, and to be able to do multiple languages, sometimes three languages at a time. Yeah, and, yeah, it's it's so impressive. And it reminded and it it felt so real to me because I know so many families who do that with Spanish, with you know Chinese, Jap like it. It's just so um, textured and beautiful. Hey guys. It's four dollars on Amazon right now. Please go yeah. rent it. I literally called my mom. I was like, Mom, I have this rental for 24 more hours. You need to watch <laughs> this. Um, and I had already seen this movie, but it just like, again, hit me so hard and so full of love and joy. Um, we love. We stand. Absolutely. 
Uh, just real quick, and I just want to make it real quick, but were there any other films? Obviously, we we mentioned The Namesake, um, and we mentioned Mississippi Masala and Salam Bombay. Like, I I think those, I think the only other one that we have not mentioned in the Five Stars reviews, in, in my personal opinion, is Queen of Cotway. And mm. I think Queen of Cotway is a really beautiful film. Like, it can, I cannot believe it came out in 2016, that it was four years ago. I was like, did this movie just get nominated last year for something? No. Nope. Um, it came out four years ago. And it's it's a really beautiful, really wonderful tale. Uh, Lupita's absolutely amazing in it. Um, I love the fact that, you know, there's two adult people in the film and they do not try and make them fall in love. The film is not interested in Thank that. Thank God. Um, the stakes are so high yet so low in the movie. And mm-hmm. also, once again, it is unlike any other Disney film ever made, um, you know, because it, it's not a film with with really it's got like maybe three white people in it um and yeah, maybe it, one's yeah, canadian you um, <laughs> one's canadian uh they're all like all ugandan um it's it's about a foreign place it's about a foreign people but it is so relatable and so interesting and so well done and ha- really has a a heart to it um but it is you know i i don't know it's it's a complicated movie um done disguised as a disney movie yeah um all I'm going to say really quickly about the namesake is that I think that movie is the most about her and her idea and thought of like where home is and what that means. The, there's a motif of bridges in this movie a lot. All, her scenes are just filled with bridges. Um, it's a devastating movie. There is one villain. It is a white woman um, who and, and, and this movie a lot is about, I think, as Americans and Westerners, we try and project our beliefs and our values on people and be like well it's fucking wrong that you can't like kiss in front of your parents and cal pen literally tells his white girlfriend when we go to meet my parents please don't hold my hand please don't kiss me like and he's setting her up like like i'm setting you up for success this is what the expectation and she fucking doesn't listen to him and she and and she just makes it all about her fucking self and i'm like this is exactly what it's like when people are like oh what 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 is a microaggression? I'm like this shit right here. Yep. You think that I was fucking joking about this? Like this is not because my parents are backwards. This is just our values and our beliefs, and you need to respect them. Like we are not wrong. It reminds me a lot of like Kim Chi's whole thing about her not coming out to her parents. Like it is not wrong. Like this is just how it is, and we have to respect them for what it is. Like you pushing your own um, Western centric agenda on you know people who don't believe or value that is not backwards and wrong like i i love this movie a lot uh, uh, yeah uh it's very personal um loving and um just really well done all, all the actors are amazing and also very beautiful so yes enough uh yeah so uh before we move into our fast forward why don't we do our mixed reviews review which will be real quick this time gavin what was our one star review our one star review was 2009's Amelia. And what was our five-star review, Louis? Oh, our five-star review? A little movie um, called Monsoon Wedding from 2001. Excellent. So let's move into our fast forward. Mira's still working. Uh, she's doing great, living life, uh, booked and fully favored and blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, her next, her next upcoming project, which I believe hopefully finished shooting i think before. it's done yeah yeah um but it's a a tv series called a suitable boy um it is not a tv show starring a white people but she did it for the bbc i listened to her in an interview talk about how um 
BBC kept trying to short her money on it, and oh, she kept shit. and she kept being like, "No, you don't understand. This is the crown in brown," and she's like, "I need that kind of money." Um, and and uh, yeah, so she it's scheduled to air in June of 2020 of this year. It's six episodes. Um, and I believe I think it's gonna be multi language. Um, between um you know hindi and english uh i can't speak to that i've not seen anything for it yet um but yeah it is um 99% um brown people and right. um i think outside of that she like we mentioned earlier she's been working very hard to get um monsoon wedding the musical yes um it had i believe it had a so it started off in berkeley um at, where it premiered at berkeley rep back in 2011 and then um I believe it had a run in the UK um, and uh, who knows where like a, a, a lot of or all of Broadway and um, theater right now is not happening. Um, but I hope this is not one of the shows that gets lost in this um, yeah. because I bet it's banging. I would love I mean, to if, see it. If there's anything that you've learned from this episode about Mira is that she is not going to give up and it's always going to be a fight. So. I don't think this is going to stop her. I think this show is going to end up on Broadway regardless. Um, she's she's going to get it there. She she is the, you know, the take it to the end queen. Uh, I did. I was listening. I listened to so many interviews with her. And one of the things that's interesting, um, she did this interview with a bunch of film students. And she was saying, you know, uh, during their question and answer section session, they so many people asked her, do you still have to pitch? And she's like, I was in a pitch yesterday. <laughs> I just come from a pitch to you know apple television i had just come from doing this because i'm always in a way on the other side in the sense that like many of you i don't i used to lament you know like because i have many actor friends who are great like uma thurman or priest with a spoon or I, I you know and many director friends you know you could call kate winslet and put her in a movie and then the whole world would see it but i couldn't do that at in the beginning you know, I would say, who will see? Like, because I was equally adept in the Western world, but I couldn't, I'd have to convince them. I'm still convincing them that I need, you know, I'm calling the suitable boy the crown in brown, you know? You know, and because it's a way of them understanding, like, it's that magnificent, it's that wide, it's that sweeping, and I need that money. So she's like, it doesn't, it doesn't end. She's like, you gotta fight for it. And you, like, that's the thing is, if you want to be in this business, especially if you're not a white man, yeah. you gotta fight for it. She's a and fighter. I, yeah, I think that's I think that's one hundred percent the thesis of Mira Nair's career is that she's gonna fucking fight for it. And she might not always be one hundred percent successful, but bitch is gonna get there. Yeah, I mean, and she's been fighting for such a long time, and I I, I know we have a lot more to come from her. So absolutely, we are so I, lucky. Everyone out there, please just like find her movies. Get over yeah. um, the uh, you know language barriers. Um, it's because her movies are just a joy. Is is there anything else, real quick, before we fully wrap up that you would like to see her do? I, I am desperate to watch that musical. <laughs> yeah, I well, I I feel the same way about um, a suitable boy because I I love seeing her work in that realm and and work in the work in India and. But uh, I, w I want to see her do something like Monsoon Wedding again. Like, I, I don't need the these focused um, 
I th- I mean, f- for how great the namesake is, you know, I still think you get like really focused movies like Amelia or Vanity Fair that are about one character. And I think she works best when she's like really bouncing around and really able to develop all these different people. And I, I think she, I really want something like that. Again. I, I just love her. I mean, and I love her doing romance. And I, I mean yeah. that in the most... Um, the, the the most loving big sense because the romance of monsoon wedding the romance of mississippi masala it's about love transcending she says you have to be intoxicated with life and that is something that has lived with her and showing the kids in salam bombay they are intoxicated with life even though there's hardships in front of their ways and you know denzel washington and sarita chowdhury their characters in mississippi masala like they are intoxicated with their lives together and uh, any chance that we get to see her showcasing that specifically on screen, you get magic. And I want more chances for that to thrive and flourish. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up Mira Nair. And I really just, I hope she still has a long career out of her mm-hmm. uh, because I think she's really interesting. I didn't, I, I genuinely outside of her films basically knew nothing about her going into this episode and so the yeah. research process was a lot of fun too yeah same um <clears throat> but yeah so i guess that wraps up this episode but if you want to contact us online you can find us on twitter at at the mixed reviews we're on facebook type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com we're also on instagram just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews and you can listen to us like you have been doing on a myriad of places we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play Music, and we're now on Podchaser. And Podchaser's actually doing this great thing for the month of April. If you could go to our page and leave us a five-star rating and review, for every one of those they receive, they will be donating 25 cents to Meals on Wheels COVID-19 response team. And so that's a great way for you to give money to charity with literally basically having to do nothing. <laughs> uh and it's such a good yeah it's such a good cause uh so please do that we're actually a double whammy because our podcast hosting lipson will match everything uh up to i think fifteen hundred dollars uh for the donation so yeah so that's double your money if you just go and leave us a review yeah we love that and keep an eye out on our twitter not only for our poll that will be coming soon but also for our next um netflix party where we'll pick something that we've maybe talked about in an episode in their past um and we'll have some fun uh absolutely and maybe pass some time while we're all hanging out inside uh but thanks you guys for listening stay safe and we'll see you soon bye bye Fresh goes better, Mentos fresher. (laughs) I know the lyrics. (laughs) Mentos fresh is full of life. Mentos. Mentos.